0: Thank you Wayne, I, uh, one of my favorite parts here at SaltBox is actually the little team that's coming together. Can we give them a hand this morning? Worship and Wayne. For... If you don't know Wayne up here you need to uh, get to know him. He's got one of the most beautiful tender hearts and um, just a pleasure. So this is his wife Sally right over here and she's a fireball. <laughs> don't, don't let that smile fool you. <clears throat> so we're, uh, we're in the middle of the Easter sequence, and we're literally looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we're retracing the steps of Christ. So today we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I've got to say, um, we, today's actually Palm Sunday, and I did Palm Sunday last week, because I wanted to get Gethsemane in before we went to uh, Calvary next week. So uh, Monica already said it, but I do want to at least point it out again. This uh, Friday, this coming Friday, so a few days from now, is our Good Friday service, it's with seven other churches, it's at Christ the King, it's a really neat time, because I meet with seven, uh, usually there's nine other pastors, we come together once a month, and we just pray and share and talk, and our churches come together occasionally and do things like this, so this is a joint Good Friday service, that is next, I guess this coming Friday night, which is the 19th, and we'll send out an email blast with a little link and a reminder on it, is that cool? Y'all might have to remind me to do that. What uh, time? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. And it'll be a tight hour. It is not a long, it'll be maybe an hour and five minutes max. Um, but it'll be neat. It, it is a somber because it's a celebration of the, actually the death of Christ. So it's a little bit more somber, a little bit different than our normal services are going to be styled. A lot of liturgical pieces, so people getting up and reading things, and even the audience saying uh, things with whoever's speaking. Does so that sound good? I'm actually doing an intro, and one of our people are reading a little a, a portion of Scripture at the beginning of the service. So... Anyway, mark your calendars, and then we're back here for Easter. So, here we are, and we are in Gethsemane um, this this particular week today, and uh, I was in Gethsemane a little bit over a year ago, and I guess even before I I go here, um, I want to point something out because I think it's funny. We read this big passage of scripture, Wayne did a great job, and do you realize what it ended with? A naked guy running away. (laughs) Have you never noticed that before? Come on. Let me read that for you. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, we are actually going to end with that scripture, because it is powerful. You just don't know it yet. Does that sound good? All right, so um, I was actually in Gethsemane a little bit over a year ago, and while I was there, I was with a small group of people, and I snuck away. Because I wanted to go sneak away by myself. There's this big church. It's a, an amazing Catholic church called the All Nations Church. But across the street on the Mount of Olives is this huge mountainside. And guess what? It's all covered with olive groves and trees. I mean, it is all the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. So I got to sneak away. I hopped over a fence or two. Believe it or not, I was probably on some private land, and I was sitting under an olive tree, and I was wrestling with whether or not we would plant this church. Isn't that interesting? I was wrestling with God. I was actually, if I was so bold, I was, like, I was arguing with God. Abby and I both were. We'd been pastors here in town for a number of years, and we'd taken a, a, a break, and we were sort of going, Lord, are we going to plant this church? It's a big deal to plant a church. You know that? Oh, my goodness. So I was sitting in the garden wrestling, and in fact, my group got angry at me. I lost track of times. So they were like, where did you go, and blah, 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 and I was like, I was back here praying, you know, being <laughs> spiritual in the Garden of Gethsemane. Come on. Come <clears throat> on. So what we're actually going to talk about today with this unique little passage is we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the pressing of Jesus, and we're going to talk about the decision of Jesus. The pressing of Jesus and the decision of Jesus. And I assure you that my small and silly wrestling that I did over a year ago was absolutely nothing compared to the pressing of Jesus and the decision of Jesus that we're going to talk about this morning Um, So firstly, let's talk about the pressing of Christ Jesus. Uh, First thing I would want you to know about this passage is as, as we move into the scriptures here, what we know is that Jesus has orchestrated almost every detail of what's happening. I don't really have the time to go back and look at it, but when you look at the Last Supper, when you look at the way he rode in on a donkey, you remember the colt that was set up and he went and got it. Then you remember the Last Supper, there was this room prepared. Jesus had set all these things up because he knew unequivocally that he was going to be arrested and led to a trial and ultimately put to death. And he didn't even want his disciples to know where and when they were going. So he's got this place set up. It's it's an upper room. That's where the Last Supper happened, if you want to go back later and read the passage just before this. But then after the Last Supper ends, they go out and they literally hike to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I think what what is amazing is... Jesus is entering the Garden of Gethsemane, and really he knows he's going to be arrested there. He knows that this is the time, this is the place, this is what's coming. This is the culmination of his entire mission, purpose, and ministry on planet Earth. I mean, this is what he came to do. And what's fascinating to me is he walks in, and he almost reminds me um, of a general setting up lines of defense. He walks in, and one of the, one of the disciples is bailed out already, right? Judas. So he's only left with 11 dudes. So he puts eight of them on the front line, and he goes, y'all sit here, watch and pray. Then he goes a little deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes, you three, Peter, James, and John, watch and pray. Then he goes a little bit deeper, and he prays. He literally set up sort of lines of defense because he knows what is coming. Now, the next thing we see is we see Jesus um, shrinking from this cup. You know, that's uh, that's actually in verse... um, where is it? Everything is possible. Take this cup from me. And I think we've got to point something out immediately here because how many um, hundreds and hundreds of believers have been uh, killed for their faith over the years? Tons. And how many of them faced that death courageously? Let's think for a minute. Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got th- thrown in the fiery furnace. That's right. Did they face it courageously? You better believe it. How about Martin Luther? Another one. We could go through time and time again of different people who have faced death for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the name of Christ Jesus, and they did it so courageously. So so here's my question in this moment is, what is Jesus shrinking from? What is he pulling back from? What is the cup So I began to look at the cup. What's the cup? The cup, uh, metaphorically, now I don't mean like a, a literal, he drank some water, but the cup is used metaphorically 20 times in the Old and New Testament. 20 times. 17 of those times, it has to do with God's anger, God's wrath, or God's judgment. So what Jesus is shrinking from in this moment is not a literal death. What he is shrinking from is for the first time in all of history, Son is going to be separated from Father. The Trinity is actually going to be split. He is shrinking back. What he is wrestling with with God, we could even go so far as to say what he is um, fighting with God over is is whether or not he is going to go to this cross and whether he is going to take the wrath and sin and anger of God for all of our sins. Does that make sense? That is what Jesus is literally, he is shrinking back from this. He is literally going, God, I do not want this. I do not want to be separated from you like this. In fact, in the Gospels, it says in multiple places, Jesus only did what he saw his father do. Jesus, it also says, Jesus only said what he heard his father. I mean, talk about unity. Talk about unity between father and son. And so they've never been separated And so for the first time in all of history, Father and Son are going to be separated. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be this breach, this separation. And all of the anger of God is actually going to be put on Jesus. So that's this cup that he's talking about here. And that's why Jesus is literally pulling back. He's literally shrinking back. I don't think for a minute Jesus was afraid of death. Not for a minute. But what he's pulling back from with everything in him is going to to pay the price for all of humanity's sin, for eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. That's what he's like pulling back from and even arguing with his father. So I have a question and we're gonna come back to this. But if you have 11 disciples in the garden that night, nobody else was around and they were all sleeping who do you think made note of what happened in the garden? You gotta know, think about that a minute. How do we know what happened? Tuck that away, we're coming back to it. So as we get deeper into the garden of Gethsemane, on this Mount of Olives, I want to pause, and I want to, I want to do two things. <clears throat> This is the pressing of Christ, and I want to use kind of a word picture here, because in Hebrew, um, Gethsemane literally comes from uh, two Hebrew words, gat, which means uh, the place of pressing, or pressing, and then it also comes from um, shemanim, which means oil. So it literally translates the, the place of pressing, or, or oil press. Okay? So hang with me here. That's what Gethsemane literally um, translates. So in old Jewish custom, uh, they would gather olives. Who's been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? Anybody been to Sacramento, California? A few other people? I think that's now the olive capital maybe of the world. I don't know that. Does anybody know that? It's, it's like it's become the new, you know, whatever, it's the olive capital. But in, in ancient uh, Jewish custom, they would gather all these olives and they'd actually put them, um, it, it looked a little bit like this except bigger, and it would have had high sides and they put all the olives in it and then there would be a several thousand pound stone with a big um, wooden beam coming out of it attached to a donkey and the donkey would walk around in circles like this and it would crush, literally pulverize the olives in this vat and what's left is like this pulpy stuff, and then they'd come and they'd collect this pulpy stuff and they'd stick it in these baskets and they'd walk over to something that was next to it, and it was a hole in the ground, and they'd stack eight or 10 of these baskets that are full of olive pulp up, and then they would press this oil after it's been crushed three times, three times. So um, with each consecutive pressing, they would add another stone that weighed somewhere between two or 3,000 pounds. Now hang with me a second. So the first pressing of olive oil, would have gone to the temple. It would have been for use in anything that, that the priests, anything at the temple in Jerusalem, anything they needed, that's what that first pressing went for. The second pressing went to the people for food, perfume, um, soap, just, you know, all, all of, you know, even cosmetic stuff. I mean, that's what that second olive oil pressing went for. The third, it was getting into, like, the, uh, the, the grittiness of the... Um, the, the seeds, the pits, and it was a really dark kind of oil. It was probably mixed. Um, and it went for burning of lamps. Now, here's what I want you to see. The first pressing we, we see here that Jesus, that Jesus is pressed, how many times? Three. Three times he came out to his disciples and said, can you not tarry with me one hour? It's hard to pray for an hour. you ever prayed for an hour straight? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever done one of those crazy all-night prayer things where you go and you try to pray all night? I mean, that's hard. It's hard to pray straight for an hour or two hours. I mean, it's hard. And Jesus goes, and his disciples are literally sleeping, and Jesus, meanwhile, is being pressed. Now, the first press would have really coincided to satisfy God's anger and wrath towards the sin of all humans. The second pressing would have been for the Jewish people, the Jewish Messiah, Okay, going for the people. And then the third pressing, so in ancient Israel, the third pressing would have gone to light the lamps, would have represented a transition from Jesus just being the Jewish Messiah to being the Savior of the world. He becomes literally the light of the world. So we got these three pressings. Jesus gets pressed three times. Meanwhile, you got these disciples who are snoozing. They are sleeping. They're bailing out on Jesus, probably in his moment of greatest need. His best friends, his closest companions. Have you ever felt alone in your pain? You reach out to a couple people and they don't respond, maybe. You reach out to a friend and go, hey, I'm in crisis. I've got a couple, I've got a dear friend who lives up in Virginia Beach. We climbed Mount Rainier together a few years ago. And he's a guy that I reach out to if I'm in trouble. And I don't reach out very much. I'm just like, hey, man, I need some prayer. or Hey, I need something. But he knows if I say I need help, I really need help. I think Jesus in this moment really needed help. And he's reaching out, and his guys are sleeping. Meanwhile, he's being pressed. I think another thing that's worth at least mentioning here is according to the Gospel of Luke, which we did not read, but Jesus... um, is actually ministered to during this time by angels. There were angels at Jesus' birth, there were angels when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, there are angels in the Garden of Gethsemane. The only time angels didn't attend him was actually at his death. Again, because the anger of God is coming upon him. So he withdrew, and even withdrew his armies or hosts of the angel heaven, angels in heaven. Okay, so we're moving from the pressing. So Jesus is pressed three times, just like they pressed an olive, because Gethsemane is literally the pra- place of the oil pressing. So now I want to switch, and I want to move into um, the decision of Christ Jesus. And this is going to be a little bit more applicable to our lives, okay? So the decision of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to actually propose to you that these three times where Jesus wrestles, that he is literally wrestling over obeying God. Whose will is it going to be? My will or your will? Whose will is going to be established on this particular day? Is it going to be my will or your will? And three times he fought or wrestled with God. And he actually says in here, Abba. I love that. I love Abba. We have two older kids, and if you have kids, or if if you've watched the the kid journey, they usually start by calling you um, Dada or Daddy, and then they get to some point, and that's no longer cool, and then they call you, dad. So our older two are dad, dad, you know, it's no longer cool to call me Dada, but my littlest one, she's back there somewhere, she's actually out there, sometimes when she hears my voice, she'll actually say, Dada. See, Abba is like that. It's Dada. It's Daddy. It's like this childlike desperation that Christ Jesus is actually in. He's literally going, Daddy. Father, save me, help me, take this cup from me. I do not want to go through with what's ahead. Not the death part, the part of being separated from you. What's ahead is so terrible, it's so fierce, I do not want to go through with it. That's what he's saying here. Abba, Dada. Three times Jesus fought the battle over whose will would be done. And three times his disciples slept. Biblically, Jesus sweated drops of blood here. This would have been the first blood of Christ that would have been shed for you and me. He sweated drops of blood because he was under such duress. And here's what I want to kind of show you or say to you this morning is Gethsemane was a garden that became the place of personal decision. Calvary is a hill Jesus is going to go to. We're going to see that Friday night at the service and then Sunday when we gather again where he's crucified. And then the tomb, the garden tomb, is where he would have been resurrected. Now, most Christians I interact with want to skip those first two steps and go right to the garden tomb and get resurrected. You're going to say, Michael, this is a hard message. It is a little bit. Most believers want to skip the place of decision and skip the place of crucifixion and go right to the place of resurrection. Believers as a whole were quick to go, Oh, we want to be sons and daughters and heirs and we want to get all the benefits of the resurrected life of Christ, but we don't want to walk through Gethsemane, the place of decision, and even Calvary, the place where we have to be crucified with Christ Jesus so that we can go the place of resurrection. There's this massive decision. And you know, I think one of the the most challenging things for us as believers is that's a decision we not just settle once, but we have to settle again and again and again. Is it his will or is it my will? I love what Jesus says here. I mean, I just love what Jesus says here. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I don't want to drink this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Let me say unequivocally, it is impossible to experience the resurrection life of Christ without passing through the place of decision, without passing through the place of the crucifixion, so that you can arrive at the place of the resurrection. You know, we, we talked a little bit about um, the Old Testament and the... the um, israelite journey um, out of egypt through the desert and into the promised land and i think that often becomes a picture for us as believers because it's like how many of us fail to actually enter the promised land we get stuck in the desert and that's kind of what i'm saying here i'm not talking about your eternal destination i'm more talking about are you on a daily basis are we coming to that place of decision where we go lord it's your will i choose your will Now let me dig in here on me for just a second. I sat in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is so funny. But I sat in the Garden of Gethsemane literally arguing with God because I went, Lord, I don't want to plant a church. I don't like church. Did you hear me? Should I say that again? I don't like church. I've been hurt by church. Maybe you've been hurt by church too. I've been disappointed by church a couple times. Church does things sometimes that get ugly, don't they? It gets political. It gets whatever. And I went, Lord Jesus, I've also been disappointed by some of my own heroes, some of my own people that I loved and followed, and then something happens, and it's like, what happened? How could this happen? And I sat in the garden, and I literally went, that garden, this very garden, and I went, Lord Jesus, I'm simultaneously terrified because how are we going to do church different than everybody else is doing church? We don't want to hurt people, and yet we know that we're broken, and what do broken people do, but hurt people. We do. We tend to hurt people when we're hurting. And when we're hurting most, we probably lash out most, don't we? At least I do. And I go back and go, hey, will you forgive me? I was wrong. But I sat in this garden, and Abby and I are are shooting emails back and forth. We're talking. We've been praying for months. She was not there with me. She was home with the kids. And we were literally wrestling, Lord, are we going to obey you and plant this church? I would suggest to you today that you are probably at some similar place of decision. Is it going to be your will or is it going to be his will? Is it going to be your way or is it going to be his way? You know, my goal here this morning is not to get any of you into uh, full-time Christian work or paid vocational ministry. The goal is to actually let all of us become ministers of the gospel of Christ Jesus right where we are. In the grocery store, at work, when you're talking to somebody, when you're on the phone, when you're sending a text. What changes a city, what changes a region, what affects an area is when a group of people become so gripped with the love of Christ. When they've passed through the place of decision... When they pass through the place of crucifixion, take up your cross and follow me. How many times did Jesus preach that? And then they land at the place of resurrection. And when we begin to see the resurrected life of Christ lived out in and through each of us, that's what changes a region. That's what changes an area. And I would suggest that if you're like me, you're probably sitting at a spot where you're going, Lord, is it going to be your will or my will today? Is it going to be your will or my will this week? And how often do we exert our own will and go, no? Now, let's go back to our naked guy a minute. Can we do that? Do you think I wasn't going to get back there? (laughs) If you put the four gospel narratives together, if you put the book of Acts together, that naked guy would be a guy named John Mark. John Mark. Most likely, the Last Supper happened at John Mark's house. He would have probably been like one of y'all's age. And Jesus and those disciples would have gone up into that Last Supper room, and he would have been able to hear through those clay walls what was going on. He could have heard them talking. He could have heard what was happening. And he would have heard, laying in his bed that night, when Jesus and the disciples got up and left. And guess what he most likely, I guess, I guarantee he did. He did. He threw his little linen garment on, and he went hiking after them. And I believe, looking at the gospel narratives, all four of them, and looking at the book of Acts, because the early church later met in this guy's house, John Mark. He actually traveled with the apostle Paul. Really fascinating. But this guy, John Mark, has his little linen garment, and he is literally hiding in the bushes, and who is he spying on? Jesus. How do we know what happened that night? How do we know what happened when all, all 11 of the disciples are passed out sleeping and nobody can hang with Jesus? Is There's this young teenager who's got his little linen garment on and he's spying on Jesus through the bushes and he's going, oh my goodness, watching him sweat blood. You think Jesus knew he was there? Yeah, he did. Of course he did. But this young man, became the person that documented what happened in the garden that night. And that's why all this ends with a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, what's the name of the the book we're in? Mark. Mark! John Mark. Who do you think wrote Mark? John Mark. John Mark wrote it. And that little verse is his signature on the whole book. That's his little, like, what? When you read that, you're like, what in the world? That is his little signature, his way of saying, I was there. Here's my question for you. Have you been to Gethsemane this Easter season? Have you seen the price Jesus paid? Have you seen the pressing he went through? Have you seen what it cost him so that we could be free? Have you come to the place in Gethsemane where you can actually go, is it my will or his will? Is it your house or is it his house? Is it your car or is it his car? Is it your money or is it his money? Is it your life, or is it his life? Is it your marriage, or is it his marriage? Are they your kids, or are they his kids? See, it's this wrestling that happens in us almost every single day we have to pass through this Garden of Gethsemane. Whose will is it? The first garden, you guys might remember, there was a guy named... Adam, Jocelyn actually prayed this. It was so good. She's not in here. I love Jocelyn's prayers. Don't you love Jocelyn's prayers? She goes, Jesus, I love it. The first garden, a guy named Adam and a gal named Eve were hanging out in there, and that first garden experience was characterized by self-willed disobedience. The next garden experience is in Gethsemane, and it's characterized by God-surrendered obedience. You want to be a person that affects your little neighborhood, affects your family. You want a great marriage. You want a life that radiates the blessing and favor of Christ Jesus. You make decisions that it's his will, not yours. Have you been to the Garden of Gethsemane this Easter season? Have you faced that decision? It's a place of decision Perry, I actually want you to come up if you're ready. The garden is a place of decision. It's a place of surrender. And it's a place where you have to answer the question, is it going to be his will or is it going to be my will? I asked Perry to lead us in an interesting song, a wonderful song, because as we sing, I want you to reflect on it. Whose will Is it? Were you there like John Mark, the naked young man who ran off in the night? Have you been to Gethsemane this Easter? Have you wrestled out? Is it going to be his will for your life or is it going to be your will? Perry, will you lead us? And then I'll come back up and pray. In these quiet moments as we're Concluding our time together, I think if we're honest, we would all probably know when we've got a heart that's hard towards the Lord and we're saying, No, God, it's my way. And we probably also know that when we have a yielded heart and go, Lord, it's your way. And as we close in prayer here, I want to invite you, like John Mark, who was at the garden that night, who watched along as Jesus sweated blood, as he prepared to be separated from his Abba, from his father, from his daddy, as he took the price of your sin and mine. I will invite you to visit Gethsemane this Easter season. I want to invite you to make another decision. Is it going to be his will in your life, or is it going to be your will? Lord Jesus, would you go with us this week? Father, we're coming up on Good Friday when you would have been killed. And then we're coming up on Easter Sunday when you rose from the dead. And Father, Easter, as much as we love Easter eggs and candy and bunny rabbits, it's way, way more than that. Father, would you remind us the significance and the eternal implications of Easter, of the Garden of Gethsemane, of Calvary where you died, of the Garden Tomb where you would have been resurrected. Lord, we praise you, and I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon this little congregation. Father, would you go with each of them? Would you make them aware of your presence, of your purposes, and even of your direction in their lives every day? Father, would you allow us to be a little body that says, we're going to do it your way, King Jesus. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need special prayer, if you've never even given your life to Christ, I'd love to pray with you. We'll have another couple people up here. If you need special prayer for something, a job, a family member, a sickness, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, give somebody a hug, celebrate the day, and enjoy this Easter season.